Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I am the host for the day, Pam Marvin, and joining me in the studio this morning is Thaddeus Romanski. Good morning, Thaddeus. Good morning, Pam. Good morning. And I also have my friend, I, I hope you call me friend too, James Adams. Now, it's Adams with yes, an S, okay? that is correct. Now, James has actually been a teacher at St. Joseph's School for how many years now? Since January of 2012, over yeah, eight years. Eight years, and he's had... I'm on my now, third Marvin now. Third Marvin, that's right. So I feel very blessed to, to know him and to get to have these kinds of conversations. So after the break, we're going to be talking about the, the bishop's document on forming consciences. Yes, ma'am. All right. So y'all stick around for that. But right now, I really am excited to talk about the Feast of the Archangels that happened yesterday. So here's some trivia that I did not know. I forever had thought the Archangels, you know, like Ark, meaning high or broad, was the highest of the angels when indeed they are not. They are the lowest of the angels. And I was like, what? In the order, because there's like several different orders of angels. Choirs. Yeah. Choirs of angels. Thank you, Daddy. <laughs> you nice. can correct me I on believe that. that's, I mean, I think yes, that's the, the Yes, yes, yes. There's like several, but I didn't know archangels were the, the smallest or the lowest, which I found very fascinating. And the other thing that I thought was very fascinating, I mean, I knew like we have St. Gabriel we talk about here in the radio station because that's... Um, Gabriel was a messenger, a great messenger. So we we asked for St. Gabriel's um, intercession as being a messenger all the time. And then, of course, St. Michael, we have up here too. I love that statue. We have a really great one here. You can hear him <laughs> clanking it on the table. It's a beautiful white statue of St. Michael the Archangel, who I think his popularity has grown so much. And in, in oh, I know in our family in the last year or so, Oh, and here comes St. Gabriel. Do we have, now is it pronounced Raphael or Raphael? I've heard it both ways. Both ways you've heard it? I have too, but I'm not really sure. What about you, James? What do you think? Raphael, Raphael. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> and that icon of St. Gabriel that I just clanked on the table is from Kara Quigley, a local. Carla. Carla, yes. excuse me. She's a dear friend. Miss Hi, Quigley. Carla. Hope she listens listening. to the podcast too, so I'm excited. Hope that she's yeah. listening. What podcast is that oh, that you're referring to? Shoulder to Shoulder, new podcast with Megan Silas and Pam Marvin. It's been really fun to get to do that. Oh, nice. It's really That's awesome. Fun. You need to ask Sarah about it, your lovely wife. Yes, she is fantastic. And Carla is such a great artist. Can you turn that so I can sure, see it? Sure, sure, sure. So then that third angel wow, nice. that we don't hear as much about. I think Carla does... I think Carla does work on request because we wanted an icon for the radio station and she produced that lovely icon for yes. us. So. I've commissioned her as well. I did a, she did a holy family for me, for my daughter, for her birthday. Cause that was one of those right after she was newly married to focus on the holy family. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Now St. Raphael or Raphael, however you say it is one of the heat, a healing one. 
he's like for healing, which I didn't really know that. He's, I think, the lesser known of the three archangels. For sure. For sure. But he's prominent in the book of Tobit. He is. It's a very, it's a beautiful story. I love. Well, tell us a there. little then. Oh, no. Just, <laughs> no. The, 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 just do the briefest of thumbnail sketches. Okay. So let's see if this. If you can. Let's, let's see if I can get this right. Tobit is the father, right? And Tobias is the son. You guys help me out here. Um, and Tobias needs to, uh, Tobit needs to find a wife for his son, Tobias. And he finally finds one and he sends him to her to uh, meet the father, but finds out that the previous six, is it six or seven husbands of this yeah. woman were all killed, all killed yes. by a demon. And so Raphael or however you pronounce his name, <laughs> the archangel shows up and guides him along the path and helps him to heal his father of his blindness and to get rid of this demon so they can actually have a married life together. It's a, That's yeah, really it's, a... I know that part of the book of Tobit can be used in the wedding mass. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, so such a great story. It is a I'm story. doing a, a total injustice in my retelling of it right now, but uh, yeah, I would encourage you to crack open that Bible. And it's kind of it. neat how his intervention uh, also redeems that woman's reputation because if, mm. it, if you didn't know about the demons factor in that story, she sort of has that black widow kind of a reputation that if, she, <laughs> if you come in contact with her as a man, she, you are dead. Your days are numbered. Yes. And that's not really the case. So that's, yeah. that's cool too. Yeah. I like the fact that the healing, especially that way, because usually we talk about physical healing. It's the first thing I think of when I think of healing. But in these day and times, I think that uh, we are in so much more need of emotional and mental healing as a as a as a country, as a world, actually. Me so too. spiritual um, too, absolutely Definitely spiritual healing happening there, getting rid of a demon. So no kidding, sure. yeah. So that's pretty wonderful. I just got a uh, text message from a loyal listener who who threw in that there are actually seven archangels. Really, those are those are the three that are the most well-known and maybe are the three that are named through scripture, mm -hmm. but perhaps there's other um, extra scriptural evidence or maybe from, from visitations that there are mm -hmm. actually seven archangels. Isn't that interesting? So I keep thinking, well, why do we know more about them than say the seraphim? Maybe because they're more relatable because they're closer to us, <laughs> you know, in level i guess so to I mean, speak so i mean they're definitely featured more prominently in scripture yeah. like they have their their stories um are more uh available for us to to read about for sure yeah so. that reminds me of the the guardian angels too i uh i really feel very strongly about everyone saying your guardian angel prayer every day there's a mm. there's like two prominent ones out there but my favorite is Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom his love commits me here, ever this day be at my side, to light, to guard, to rule, and to guide. They're Amen. there to help us so much um, in that unseen, which I love talking about the unseen world because so many times people, especially if you're atheist or agnostic, it doesn't exist to you. And um, Or, I mean, that's true for atheists and agnostics, but also if you're busy. Yeah. Like, it's so easy to forget about... Um, spiritual realm the the spiritual reality that right. permeates us and gives us life and being like we wouldn't be here if it were not for a god who holds us into existence even here and now who continues to create us even here and now and so that yeah his angels are his all those angels are a part of that and 
are, are serving him faithfully. This just handed me the uh, book of Enoch, book of Enoch, which mm-hmm. is extra canonical mentions seven angels who watch over uh, humanity and they are often considered the seven archangels, mm. Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, Uriel, Saraquel, Ragiel, and Lucifer. Interesting. Lucifer is a fallen archangel. There you go. How about that? According to the book of Enoch. Wow. I had heard this. Which those is cited in the book of, of St. Jude. The letter of St. Jude, the epistle of St. Jude, cites book of Enoch. Hmm. Interesting. I, I find the whole um, angelic realm to be absolutely fascinating because, I don't know, I used to think it was kind of like a fairy tale as a child, but then mm-hmm. as I've grown older, then I've come to know that that's really, it's it's a real thing. And then, of course, in the Mass, when we see, when we say all that is seen and unseen just brings it back every single week to me. If I haven't been paying attention that there's so much more than literally what meets the eye and I need to be paying attention to that. More than meets the eye. No, 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 not Transformers. <laughs> I, but you know I what's gonna be you know what's gonna transform you? Yeah, good is coming segue. to <laughs> the benefit dinner in Waco on October eighth. That is gonna transform you folks because you are going to learn how to take your drinking to a, the next level, to the level of the angelic possibly, to the wow. level of the um heavenly by learning how to drink like the saints and with the saints, Dr. Michael Foley is going to be our uh, witty, winsome guest speaker <laughs> there. He is a pro- professor of patristics. He's an expert on St. Augustine, and he is a mighty crafter of potent potables who's written the books, Drinking with the Saints, Drinking with Your Patron Saints, Drinking with St. Nick. He's going to speak to us October 8th, the West KC Hall, the West KC Hall there, not Sacred Heart. Catholic Church this year because we have gone to a bigger venue, spread people out, give people plenty of room to social distance, yet still have a great time, have a wonderful meal, and hear a great talk on how to drink like the saints in five easy lessons. It starts at uh, 6.30. We're also going, for the first time, we're going to be offering a live stream for those people who uh, can't make it to the the benefit for whatever reason, but still want to participate and still want to give on that day. We're going to have an, an, a link for the live stream right on our webpage, redsearadio.org, right there on the front page. And that's that live stream is going to start at 730. So take advantage of that if you can't make it to the benefit dinner for whatever reason. Tune in, give on that day, and support Red Sea Catholic Radio. What day? October 8th, Thursday, October 8th. All right. Now, what about West KC Hall? What about the one in the Brazos Valley? So, hoping you were going to ask about that, Pam. (laughs) (laughs) That's November 12th, Thursday, November 12th, this year at the Brazos Center on Briarcrest. And Brian, also for the same reasons, were abandoning the the comfortable, welcoming environment of St. Thomas Aquinas uh, this year for a larger venue so we can spread out, put people at nine feet apart and 60-inch tables. We're going to put only five seats at each table, but you can still reserve tables now. Get on that. You're going to, If you reserve a table, you actually get two physical tables, five seats per person. So you're going to get two extra seats this year. Fill those out. We're going to be spread out, plenty of room, and we're going to, we don't want to 
deprive our Brazos Valley audience of the chance to drink uh, in a more heavenly way, a more um, uplifting manner. And so we're going to have Dr. Foley come down and speak to the Brazos Valley about how to drink like a saint in five easy steps. He's going to be there November 12th, Thursday. And we also plan to do um, a great meal for you and uh, have a have a wonderful, wonderful experience for you there at the Brazos Center, the Brazos Center on Briarcrest in Bryan. November 12th. Register now. RedSeaRadio.org slash KEDC benefit. I do it now. Love going Don't to that stop. Event. Don't miss it. Do you want to know why Jump, I love that do it. event? Why? Part of the reason I love that event, or most of it, is because number one, the level of excitement and energy in the room about the good work that this radio station is doing in our state is just phenomenal. People know that it makes a difference. People know that it's getting out the word of God. And when we're all together there at that benefit dinner, you can just feel it in your bones. There's an excitement. There's a joy that only comes from the grace of God. That's one thing. But the second thing that's amazing for me is getting to be with all these wonderful people. Oftentimes we get people come in from out of the area that perhaps were once uh, pastors or um, just radio hosts like Megan Silas. Like she'll come in for that as well. I believe she's going to be back for this one too. And to see all those people, I know Paul has to drag me out there at the end because um, I'm still talking, you know, the place is practically cleaned up and I'm still, they're like going all around me because I'm still talking Pam, to everyone. they're turning off the lights. Let's leave. Come on. It's time Seriously, to they hand me a broom <laughs> and say, okay, if you're going to stay, please help us. And I'm like, absolutely, absolutely. You, so. you make your husband sound like one of those little kids after mass who's gently pulling on their mom or maybe not so gently. Come on, mommy, let's go home. Let's go home. Yeah. His mom is catching up with all her church friends. That's well, but, funny. But the truth really is, most of the time, it's me dragging him away. <laughs> oh, after church? <laughs> oh, yeah. After church or after an event like this, because oh, both fun. of us can really talk. It's, we just love people. We just really love, we just love being in this community. And oftentimes at those events, um, we don't get to see these people as, as often as we'd like. Mm-hmm. Um and we usually have a table, so I invite some friends that I don't see often as, as I would like to that yeah, uh, especially right can now. participate. Yes, it's, definitely. And we really uh, enjoy it so much. So we hope that you'll come out on November t- 12th and come experience the energy and excitement of being at one of the radio benefit dinners of KEDC. And we thank you and we hope to see you soon. But come back after the break. We'll be talking with James. Welcome back. You are listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio, KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, and KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. 
you can call us at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, 855-683-7332. Should you have any questions this morning, we are talking with James Adams on forming consciences for faithful citizenship. (laughs) Now, James, I just want you to give a little bit of your background. Like, why are you here and why do you know about this? Okay, that's uh, that's a good question. And, and more of your background because it's fascinating. Okay, how far back do you want me to go? Do you want me to go? Well, you got to talk about your military service too. Okay. That's always so cool. I like okay. that. Okay, so um, yeah, so I was born and raised Catholic, uh, cradle Catholic, and uh, for a lot of my life, it was a very much a check the block kind of thing, and that's that was a lot of my military experience too. So um, I went to a military academy and. Then I obviously was an officer in the United States Army for not just over nine years. Um, it was a good experience in many ways, but uh, I realized, um, well, I got I got uh, stationed at Fort Hood, and I met a magnificent man there. Um, great dude, great dude, and he uh, definitely led me closer to God. And as I uh, grew in my faith, I realized like there are. I knew holy men in the, and not just chaplains. I knew plenty of holy men in the army, but I knew that. Um, given my own brokenness, I couldn't do that. So I knew I had to get out if I wanted to continue on the path of holiness. And so I did. Um, I didn't really have a plan, but uh, I enjoyed reading the Bible and I enjoyed reading the catechism and encyclicals and all that stuff. So I just spent all of my time doing that. And after I did that for about six months, um, since I had plenty of money as a bachelor, I was like, I should probably just turn this into a degree. Again, with no plan, just getting a degree in theology. And so I uh, got a master's in theology, and then I looked for a job, and I found one here, praise Jesus, because my uh, fiancé, or yeah, my fiancé at the time, um, was living in this area, and it happened to be the daughter of the man who really helped me come to know Christ. So that was, that was, it was, it was really, really awesome. Um, And it was like, the story's kind of beautiful for her too, because um, she was away at college, and then um, when when I knew her dad, or first coming to know her dad and growing in, in my relationship with Christ, she was away at college, and then she went um, and did mission work for two years down in Bolivia. And I came back, I came to his house to help set up his Facebook account, <laughs> um, and I knocked on the door, and she answered it. And she told me later that when she answered the door, her first thought was, "Oh, hello, husband." Wow. We had never, we had never met once. And that was her first thought when she saw me. So that was, yeah, it was beautiful, but awkward because her boyfriend was in the living room. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So that was. How old were y'all about that time? Because you weren't like just out of college, really. Oh, no. You were much older. Uh, Not much older, but. I think it was in my late 20s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I I couldn't be here. I was in my early 30s because she was um, about 25. So I'm seven years older than her. And so. Um, yeah, so she had had two years out of college, so I think she was 26. Wow. 26. So did her dad always have this little thing that, you, oh, well, I'd really like you to meet my daughter. No, the opposite. <laughs> Literally the opposite. It was so awkward, like, letting him know about our relationship. It was one of the most awkward experiences of my life. It was mortifying. Whoa. Okay. Um, I'll have to tell you about it sometime. Yeah, I would love that. So so anyways, yeah, I just... Uh, you got a theology down, degree. I got a theology degree, and then I moved down here. and So um, thankful? Yes, yes. This community is so fantastic. I love it. It's so um, committed and passionate, um, a little bit crazy, and um, 
very hospitable. Mm. And so it's just been a great place for me and for Sarah and I to raise our family. And you have how many children now and their names? So Teresa's the oldest. She's seven. I have Elizabeth, who's five, going on six. Mm. Um, actually, no, that's, oh, no, I'm getting all confused. No, it's, yeah, she's seven. She's, um, Elizabeth is five. Xavier is almost two. And Sarah is pregnant with uh, <gasps> another, did you not know? No, yes. I didn't. Yes. So you we heard it first. first, folks. You heard it here <laughs> first. News. Breaking news here Another in the Brazos Valley. On the planet. Wow. Yes. Here we go. Yes, we do. We Congratulations. have some beautiful kiddos. No so, kidding. I enjoy them with immensely. The name. immensely. Due in February. Due in so. February. I've got a grandchild due in January. Oh, that's so yeah. fun. That's so fun. Very exciting. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sarah, we love you. I'm so thankful. I hope you're listening. And congratulations to her. She's a beautiful soul in her own right. I oh, love man, the I both love of you. Superpower couple. Um, at the very first Red Sea Radio, uh, excuse me. Family retreat. Family retreat. Um, they gave a very dynamic talk, the two of them. And it was I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And Do y'all get to do that much? Because you guys really are a power couple. You should be speaking more. Thank you. I would never think of myself or think of our marriage as a power couple. I was, I was really uncomfortable when you said that the first time. Uh, no, Good. we don't get to do that very often, unfortunately. I mean, she teaches a baptism class um, for for St. Thomas Aquinas, um, and she's fantastic at it. Uh, but uh, no, we don't get to do, unfortunately, we don't do that very much. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So you have the theology degree. You've been teaching there at the school for a while. And you approached me saying, Pam, I would really love to talk about this topic on the radio. And I, I've, I've done a lot of research on it. I teach it. How long? You were telling me like this length of time it takes you to teach this document to the class. Yeah, it takes about it takes about four weeks. We, we take almost a month to, to cover the document. In our, in, so I have a... So I teach sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And my senior, the, the way the USCCB has set up the the curriculum for high school students is they can, they have two semester long um, options that they have, that they have to do from among five choices. And one of them is Catholic social teaching. So I teach that one. And so I've, I've been immersed in this for eight years now, because I'll tell you what, like a great, that's the great thing about teaching high school students is they are getting to that point where they are mature enough to recognize that they have inherited a lot from their parents and their opinions frequently are their parents, but just old enough to, uh, to be able to recognize, are these my ideas or not? How much of the tradition that my parents have handed on to me am I going to embrace for myself? So it's a really dynamic time because they're not only challenging me in the classroom, they're challenging themselves and each other. It becomes, it becomes a very... Uh, it becomes very dynamic in the classroom as people are wrestling with what kind of things am I going to commit to as a, as an emerging adult. So yeah, it's, it can be very right. passionate. It can be very passionate in the classroom. I bet so. So let's just start talking about the document itself. Now, the reason why we're here, obviously we are in election year and everybody knows 2020 has just been insanely different. Well, than just last before. night was the first debate. Right? Yeah, for sure. And so. that is interesting of itself. But speaking of high schoolers, uh, my high schooler uh, actually watched the debate on the way home from her volleyball game on the bus the whole time. And so when she came in, she'd had time, which her her government teacher, Seth Walker, was the bus driver. So they were mm -hmm. actually having conversations <laughs> about it. And I was, 
just exactly what you were saying before this is to see her start to really draw and inform her own conclusions of why she she thinks the way she thinks, which was really, really cool. My husband and I were just sitting there going, wow, you know, even six months ago, she probably would not have any interest, but now she does because she gets to vote in it this first time. Yeah, that's so exciting. It's really fun to, especially for those seniors that I teach that get to vote in November, like they, they understand, they are starting to understand how serious this is. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. So how do we take this seriously? I know my background, um, as most of you, the listeners know, if you listen regularly, is in political science from Texas A&M. I just loved it. I loved learning about it. Um, Constitutional law was my absolute favorite class that I had. Um, I've actually had people ask me, why didn't you go into law school? And I said, you know what, I would have loved law school but I had no desire to be a lawyer. So um, I really have a passion for current events um, for many different reasons, but a lot of it is to bring my Catholic faith into the current events of the day. I also call myself a culture watcher because I want to bring Jesus to the current events of the day too. And that's one of the reasons we're here talking about this topic today. So go ahead and start us off. Oh man, I meant to look this up just to verify some dates and stuff. But it's interesting that you say that because like the document makes clear and the teachings of the church are very clear on this, that it's the lady's job to transform the world. That mm-hmm. is our job. It's not, it's not the clergy. Their job is to transform us. And we, having been transformed, particularly through the liturgy, go out and transform the world. Obviously, we are the, ser- the servants of the Holy Spirit in that process. But it's not a passive role. It's definitely an active role. Um, there's a story of, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but a, uh, there was a Back in the first half of the last century, a priest actually ran for Congress and was elected. And the Vatican intervened and made him give up his seat in Congress. And I think that illustrates very clearly, like, it's not the priest's job to transform the world. They are, they are there to, well, I mean, that's not true. They're there to transform the world, but it's our, primarily our role as the laity to do that. Um, as I read recently in, our, in an article, too, um, our responsibility to transform the world starts in the voting booth. It doesn't end there. And I thought that was a really good way to frame this conversation is our responsibility to transform the world starts in the voting booth. It does mm-hmm. not end there. So vo- voting is absolutely a, uh, a moral obligation. It says so in the Forming Consciousness for Faithful Citizenship. Um, Article 16 says, and I love this too because um, – it talks about politics in such a positive, the church talks about politics in such a positive way. Like if you look at surveys of, of professions that are respected in the United States, like you have military service members and firemen and police officers and teachers at the top. And then like at the bottom, as you just mentioned, lawyers and politicians. So they get so little love in our society, but the church really holds a good politician in the high esteem because mm-hmm. they are responsible for helping to lead the transformation of the world. So anyways, um, Article 16 uh, the uh, uh, Faithful Citizenship says, Responsible citizenship is a virtue, and participation in political life is a moral obligation. So we absolutely, absolutely. and unequivocally, <laughs> jinx, <Yeah. laughs> have, a, uh, have a duty to vote. So I, I think that's— I feel strongly I, about that. Yeah, I, d- I do. And I try and convey that to my students so that they can understand like, this is an, a genuine opportunity because in how many places in the world— or do they not have an opportunity to vote or the votes are just like shams, you know, the elections right. are just shams. So, 
Yeah, Matt Frad recently did a great little piece on his podcast because because he is Australian, he cannot vote here in the United States, and mm. it's quite painful for him. So he did a piece on how important it is for us to vote as well. So, oh, that was fascinating. Yeah, I'd be interested in listening to that. So yes, sure. voting is very important, but to go along with that, you must form your conscience well, right? Absolutely. Have a well-formed conscience to be able to do your research and then choose accordingly, correct? Absolutely. So I think, uh, no, I don't think. I know for a fact because I just looked it up. Uh, Pope Francis talked about the church's role in this, in forming consciences. And I thought what he said was very insightful and helpful. He said, and I quote, Oh, no. Here we go. The church wants to form your conscience, not replace it. And I think that's key. Like Jesus talks about in the, with his disciples, how we are, if we have to have, be like a child to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. But that can be contrasted with what St. Paul says in first letter to the um, Corinthians chapter 12 about, you know, I used to think like a child, act like a child. I put about, put aside childish things. And I think one of the things that we can struggle with is, making a distinction between what is childlike and what is childish. We are called to be childlike to enter the kingdom of heaven. We are not called to be childish. And so forming our consciences, being informed and voting in accordance with our conscience as it is, you know, formed through by our ourselves, faith. due diligence. Yeah. Through our faith, using faith and reason um, is absolutely part of us being an adult in the faith um, that it's, it's, I don't know, it maybe is too harsh to say that it's almost childish to to abdicate that responsibility. Right, irresponsible, I'd say. Yeah. Irresponsible to to not take the weight and seriousness of it. For sure, for sure. So, um, yeah. Yes, so forming consciences, I, I was listening to a priest talk about forming consciences, and he gave a kind of a litmus test to know when your conscience isn't exactly well-formed, so I thought I'd throw that one out there, too. Oh, yeah. here we go. Let's do this. <laughs> okay, so what he said was, you can kind of tell, or you can tell if a, a conscience is not well-formed, uh, and we're talking in the context of the Catholic faith, of course, that when you disagree with something the church teaches because you really haven't vetted the idea all the way through or the concept all the way through. And that is a type of immaturity. So I thought that was very interesting. Very interesting that it could be that way. That that's, I mean, that's a good way to test it. It's like, okay, so me as a convert, uh, coming into the Catholic Church, which the Catechism drew me in as a political science te- student. Oh wow! Interesting. Oh, it really did. I use it as a you reference. You were the second person I have met who was converted based on the Catechism. That was definitely a big part of it, and the Lord put Catholic after Catholic For after sure. Catholic in my in my path. Um, but it was on just war, and I just thought, wow, mm. there is so much in here that just that bell of truth was ringing in my ears, right? Uh, so the catechism was really a great instrument for me. It is a useful tool for sure. So much so. I mean, and I, I really challenge people in this idea of well-formed consciences and, and wanting to know what the Catholic Church teaches on, you know, obviously abortion, if you don't know, uh, and why, and different things, uh, beautiful stuff on prayer and marriage. And it's just a treasure trove, which is one of the reasons I fell so deeply in love with the faith before I actually came into it. So it's a great resource. It is, absolutely. 
Um, I like to think of it as a, uh, so if Christ is the foundation of our faith and you can use, you can understand the catechism as basically like the framework for the, the build, the building of our faith. So our, it creates the structure that holds everything up and we can, we can, it's not, it's not the totality of our faith, just like the frame of your house that won't keep you, won't keep you sheltered, right? You need, you know, the plaster and the siding and the, the, um, the, the tiles on the roof. What are those shingles? My goodness gracious, you know, that difficult two syllable word. So we need all of that. And then it needs to be decorated beautifully. Obviously we want our building decorated beautifully or the, our home decorated beautifully. But I think a good way of understanding it is as the, the catechism, as a, as the, the frame that holds um, upon Christ, which holds everything else up. Mm. And I think the analogy can push, be pushed even further that we take things away from that frame at our own peril we add to it and take away at our own peril because, I mean, I have a, I have a master's degree in theology, but I also recognize my own limitations as a human. And can I really in confidence say that the 2,000-year tradition of the church that has been handed on to me through the leaders of the church, but the, the magisterium, that I know more than they do? Like, I always shudder inside when I think that. And then someday, if I choose to reject the teaching of the church, then someday I'm going to have to stand before God in my judgment and say, yes, I knew better than the 2000 mm. year, 2000 year tradition of the church and the magisterium of the church as they were trying to lead me during my lifetime. Like I'm always extremely hesitant to, to take that course, you know? It's, right. It's, yeah. And the way I've viewed it too, is just so much more detail with our faith is the catechism, you know, because it is built on scripture and from scripture. Mm-hmm. And so I think it'd be interesting for our listeners to know, if you know, like, um, how the catechism was formed over time and what was the deal when un- under John Paul II it was revised? Do you know? Yeah, I do. I actually, I've studied this pretty extensively before I do though. I, I just came up with something in my own head really quick going back to our discussion about the angels because in, yeah, so Lucifer in, you know, in his pride rebels against God, but it's, I don't know if you know this, but Michael, the name Michael translate who is like God. And so like that should, I think that's really our, should be our attitude. Um, Not a complete and utter lack of um, intellectual engagement with our faith, but that we need to accept it with docility. Like Michael say, who is like God, who, Am I really willing to defy the magisterium in our tradition in order to believe what I want to believe? Or do I need to, in humility, try and accept this and vet, I love that word that you used earlier, vet um, this teaching uh, as much as I can before before I... formally say, like, I can't accept it. So Right. Well, on that note, though, too, okay. James, I thought it was very fascinating. One of the things my my daughter, who will be 18 in two weeks in voting, as we said, she said the, one of the things that she really that really struck her is that there was so much on the surface during the debate. He, she says, but you have to do your research. Mm. And so we're talking about that in the political sphere and also with our Catholic faith. I mean, that's what brought me closer to Christ was learning through the catechism because I was researching things. I mean, the whole thing about birth control, I spent a lot of time on because mm-hmm. that was the hardest teaching for me coming in as a new Catholic. Because I, you know, I didn't particularly care about it for myself, but I didn't know or think of it as, as a grave matter. Mm-hmm. Um 
so that's a whole nother conversation. For sure. But that's what really drew me in. And, you know, and then Humani Vitae and look what I do today. I mean, my whole life is not a whole life, but a big chunk of my life is dedicated to um, the beauty of what is sacramental marriage and natural family planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a fruit of what God put on my heart years ago when I read Humani Vitae. So again, that was just one of those ways that helped me to go deeper. Again, vetting what the church teaches. So what does the church teach about, I don't know, in the public square more? Let's take it back to the public square a little bit. So we're moving away from the catechism? A little bit. Well, we're talking about the Right, right, right. Well, you, asked, you asked how the catechism came to be. Oh, yeah, so. that's true. So, yeah, thank you for keeping me on track. Oh, no, no worries. <laughs> uh, so, real quick, um, the last time the, the catechism was updated, actually, there was no formal catechism of the Catholic Church until the Council of Trent in the wake of the Protestant Reformation. So, after the Council of Trent, which was obviously in response to the, the Protestant Reformation, the Council asked that a catechism be produced, and it was with a commission, or through a committee of um, priests. I think there were two or maybe three priests who wrote it, and then it was approved later on by the Vatican. So that was the catechism of the Catholic Church for 300 years, 350 years. And then in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, um, I think on the 50th anniversary, nope, that can't be right, the 30th anniversary of the, um, of the, the, the Second Vatican Council, the conclusion of it, uh, one of the synods asked, suggested to the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, Pope St. John Paul II, um, that we revise and update the catechism. And so the prefect of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, um, Joseph Ratzinger, who later become, became Pope Benedict XVI, was responsible for that. He started a committee. And what was really interesting about this was it was not like the first catechism, which was fantastic, but um, it was the... Cardinal Ratzinger sought the input of all the bishops of the world. So they came up with a draft and they sent it to all the bishops and they asked the bishops to have their theologians look it over and send feedback. And that process, if I'm not mistaken, happened seven times that they would take in these changes and then send it back out and then get, you know, suggestions back, make changes. And this, this, it was such a, it was such an ecclesial document that emerged out of it. So Mm. I love that it was not just, a, a few individuals who helped create this document. It was truly the magisterium, the bishops in communion with the Pope who helped produce this final document that we have right now. So I think that See, was fantastic. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's Fun a great facts, history. Right? Yes. Yeah. So that kind of brings us full circle back then to the public square, because we're talking about, first of all, knowing and forming your conscience well, which starts there with knowing our faith, which starts with the catechism, and of course, participation in the sacraments. Yeah, absolutely. Essential. essential. That is absolutely essential so. to remain in the heart of the church through the liturgy. So, um, And through prayer, obviously. Prayer cannot be a, a secondary aspect in forming one's conscience. It's, it's integral. So... Okay, let's get back to the document then. What, okay. what more are you like? I really want to make sure that we talk about this on the show today. Well, okay, so thank you for saying that. I think it's worth pausing just for a second and going to something that Bishop Vasquez, you know, our bishop, who's, you know, not the vicar of Christ on earth, but the vicar of Christ for our diocese. Uh, the diocese so, of Austin. Yes, the diocese of Austin. Thank you. Good point. Good point. So this, he was asked... Um, by in the, in this interview, the diocese is asked. Or I'm sorry, um, the diocese is asked for voters' guides. What's your response to that question? And this is what Bishop Vasquez says, and I'm just going to read it. 
Voters' guides are often problematic in that they tend to favor one particular party and they can skew the candidate's positions. Voters' guides are often checklists and they are not concerned with forming consciences. In the Diocese of Austin, I have asked our parishes to use forming consciences for faithful citizenship as our guide to prepare for the upcoming election. As church leaders, we are focused on forming good, solid Catholics to make well-informed decisions as they vote and participate in all aspects of faithful citizenship. Therefore, I encourage all Catholics to read this document in prayerful reflection to help us bring the richness of our faith into the public square. So I think that's that's important for us because I've seen lots of voting guides out there and they can be, I mean, this is a hefty 52-page document, so it is... It's no joke. He's referring to the forming um, consciences for faithful citizenship, which can be found on the USCCB website. You just got to type in faithful citizenship and it'll come up. Yep. 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 For sure. So, yeah, uh, the the voting guides are often overly simplistic and they lack the nuance. And the ones I've seen make it very clear how they want you to vote. They are clearly leading the the person in a particular direction. What I like about uh, faithful citizenship is it clearly communicates the responsibility is on you as an individual to be open to what the church teaches, to engage your brain and do research and vote accordingly. So I, I think that's going back to what I was saying earlier about um, being an adult in the faith instead right. of being childish. Do your research. Yep. Look deeper, as Annie would said. Look at another layers behind it, not just the surface, but go deeper in the topics, you know, let it not be uh, just very surface, but what's really behind it? Um, why? Where is it coming from? What policy is this? Who is it benefiting? Who is it not benefiting? Those kinds of things, I think, is, is just really a great place to start. So is that kind of what you say with your high schoolers when you talk about this document? It's like, go back and, you know, do some digging, figure out what's going on and um, weigh, weigh it against what you know from your Catholic faith. Well, yes, I do, for sure. But one of the things I found is, um, like, the other day, <laughs> I have so many interesting conversations in my classroom. It's great, <laughs> great being a high school theology teacher, sometimes. Uh this, but this particular conversation was really interesting because um, one of my students said, I, I just can't imagine not voting for someone who's pro-life. And my response was, well, I completely agree with you, but what do you mean by that? And she said, and we went back and forth for a while and we, we teased out some ideas. And finally she said, well, when I say, you know, being pro-life, what I mean is being anti-abortion. And I was like, you're absolutely right. Like we are called to vote against policies that support abortion and for policies and uh, persons who are going to advocate for defenseless human beings. But I pointed out, you know, there's more to being pro-life than just being anti-abortion. There's embryonic stem cell research, which is yes. not acceptable. There is, oh, let's see here, um, assisted physician suicide. Right, are, are euthanasia. Called, euthanasia. Those are all things that we are called to oppose. Mm-hmm. But in that same category, as this document points out, there's also the issues of, you know, we are called to stand with the poor. That is a pro-life issue. We are called to stand with our immigrant brothers and sisters, both documented and undocumented, and that's the language from the documents. Um, we are called to be pro-environments. We are called these, and I'm forgetting one more. Oh, we are called to oppose the death penalty. Like these are all, these are all pro-life issues um, that we have to take into consideration when we are forming our consciences and casting our ballot. And at the end of the conversation, 
<laughs> they just had this exasperated and flabbergasted look on their faces. And they were like, well, then who do you vote for? <laughs> and I was like, well, I try and use my good judgment and I try and incorporate my faith and I try to make the best decision that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's not, voting is not, is, uh, is not an easy task in this day and age. Right. So I have just two thoughts that come up on that. Sure. So if I can hold on to two, both of them. But uh, for me personally, I life being the first and foremost in my mind. And I do when, when you said that I've always also included the death penalty, euthanasia, stem cell and contraception, to be honest, um, because I believe that leads to death as well. So it's not pro-life. There you go. So depending on the method. for sure. Right. Um, but then again, in that aspect, I really feel like I'm drawing it into only being able to to choose someone who is for life. Like that, I don't know, I'm getting kind of rambled here, but what I'm the essence of what I'm trying to say is that one of the ways I personally will um, judge and look at and dig deeper is the whole context of you will know them by their fruits, you know, the fruit of destruction, the bad fruit of destruction, death, um, just destruction and death or the fruit of life and, and giving and growth. You know, those two are two really big, very simplistic ways. Cause I'm really a simple person at the end of the day, you know, to think of it those ways. So I'll vote for, for that in, in those kind of aspects. Yeah. So there's a, there's certainly a lot to consider for sure. I, I would, the document point faithful citizenship, I'm sorry, forming consciences for faithful citizenship points out that, um, there are a lot of things that have to be considered and not all of them have the same moral weight. That's um, right. Grave matter, right? Yeah. For sure. Um, so, uh, but one of the things that the document also talks about is taking into account a candidate's commitments, character, integrity, and ability to influence a given issue. So the way I like to explain that to my st- students is, and this is, you know, the, the, what's interesting about this year is it's so relevant. So, Kanye West is on the ballot in some states, apparently. I've not been following him that closely. I just am aware of the fact that he's voting. Or I'm sorry, not voting, but running for office. Um, and the way, I, the way I look at it is, um, and the, the, the faithful citizenship points out you're not just electing a platform, you are electing a person. So you are not only considering the, all these policies that they're advocating, you're considering the person themselves and how much they're going to be able to actually accomplish in their character and integrity, as, as I said just a moment ago. So looking at Kanye West, even if I agree, even if he stood, he and I stood on every single policy together, there is a 0% chance I'm going to vote for him to be the president of the United States. One, because he lacks the credibility as a, uh, a public figure to be able to run our country. And two, I don't think I trust him. So like he may be, we may be eye to eye on every single policy issue, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to vote for him because there are other things. I'm not just electing a platform. I'm electing a person to lead our country. But I'm glad you said that about platform because many people are actually just unaware of what the platforms actually are, which is another part of that digging. Yeah, absolutely. Go and look at what the platforms are for the different parties. What do they stand for? Which direction do they want to move the country? Um, and is it something that you can get behind if, if that's the direction? Because 
oftentimes you may hear something from the mouth of the politician that doesn't actually line up with that platform. And most likely the platform is going to be what's followed over what the words were that were coming from the mouth generally. You know, that's a really good point because, and that goes back to the character of the character of the politician that you are voting for or not voting for. Like you're discerning that maybe I shouldn't vote for this guy because he says this, but maybe I can't trust him because of whatever reason, whatever like reason, his right. history, or because of the party that he's associating himself with. Yes. Can I or trust herself? his words? Right. You right. Mean, right. Has, Absolutely. Have they been, you know, solid and uh, proven to be a person of character for sure? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, yeah, it's a, I mean, basically you're making an evaluation of a person and trying to make a judgment, not in the spiritually damning sense, but in the sense of evaluating a character and can how how much can I um, support what this individual is doing and being really is I think the right way to understand it doing saying and being hmm. so yeah I still go right back to the fruits yeah. the fruits of the behavior um, does it produce rotten fruit or does it produce good fruit that's just been such a litmus test in these times for me. Um, death and destruction, no bueno. Indeed, indeed. But life, yay. Life indeed, life indeed. From womb to tomb. Absolutely. And every moment in between. Right, that's why, you know, we're talking about that. The, the life issue was the one thing that really made me start saying, you know, I vote Catholic. You know, people ask me, you know, of my leanings or whatnot. I'm saying, well, you know, you'd be very fascinated to know that I vote more Catholic and it doesn't really fall right in line with either party. Yeah. Um, so I vote my Catholic faith, which I think is is for me has been the best the best avenue. And I to take what you just said and bring it back to something I said earlier about. Um, our, our duties as citizens begins in the voting booth. It doesn't end there. We like the, the faithful citizenship is explicit, explicit about our responsibility to be the leaven of our political parties. So we are meant to be transformative within our, like the, the, the bishops know like the, the practical reality of our situation here in the United States that like there are, we're basically a two party system and you can be, you know, a third party um, political member, but more often than not, you're not going to get voted into office. That's, it's just the way our two-party system is basically set up. And so the, the bishops have said, given our two-party system, you are meant to be the leaven of, like right. biblically, of our political party and help be the transforming, transformative agent within our political system. Right, which brings me to a topic recently on Shoulder to Shoulder podcast was moral courage in the public square. And so I'd love to kind of, you know, talk about that for a little bit, because I, in the past, have always been kind of a little milk toast, not wanting to upset anyone <laughs> or, you know, give an opinion that might bother someone. But I tell you, living in these times has just changed me on that. So I feel like we as Catholics have a responsibility to speak these truths that maybe we've been holding back because we don't want to offend, but that time has passed. The, that that kind of uh, 
I don't know. I kind of it's a misplaced politeness in my book because moral courage is is more about telling truth in the face of difficulty, in the face of something being challenging or to be challenged and not to be fearful for you're speaking um, on the behalf of your faith. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, I think the the right way to understand that is always in the context of relationship and recognizing that the person I am talking to is not an object, not just an object that I'm trying to change, but a person that I am trying to love in truth. And it can be, it can be tricky. Such a good way to say it. What I like, the way I like to share it, James, is to say, I like to share my heart so you can Mm. peek into my heart and why I believe the way I do and think the way I do, because I'm very respectful of the other people's, they have formed their conscience and they have their ideas and I respect that they have that, that's their point of view. So when I engage in those kinds of conversations, I never feel like I'm trying to convince them of anything. I'm sharing my heart and how I came to the conclusions that I came to, which is actually kind of learned that on Catholic radio under apologetics too, is to just like you come from the point of this is the way I believe and this is how I got to that point. Mm -hmm. I really like the way you said that because Uh, like the way sharing your heart makes me think of vulnerability. And Matthew Kelly said this one time that, or probably several times, he's a very famous, you know, Catholic speaker, that when we share, when we reveal our humanity to others, it gives them permission to be human. I love that so so much. So yeah, so this idea of sharing your heart and making yourself vulnerable by like sharing your story instead of like trying to, Busting out the warhammer of truth in order to clobber somebody into compliance. Right, right. I I think that's, I think there's just a huge difference there. So, for sure. And in with that being said, I want to say, like, if you are in situations, especially if you're trying to live your faith very well and you're trying to live it in the public square as well, because I know that can be really challenging, it does take moral courage. I really encourage our listeners to be more open. We've been a little bit too reserved and everybody's been a little frightened to talk about these things. But as we get closer to the election, share your heart. We're not telling you how to vote. We're saying share your heart about where you are, you know, engage in discussions. Don't be fearful of, of getting your faith there and your beliefs into the public square. I think that's our duty. Like you said, as we started out, the laity is there to help be the leaven in the society to mm-hmm. change things. Right. Yes. And so how if you're not speaking up with a well-formed conscience, you know, how is that going to happen? Indeed. Indeed. So let's let's talk about that as we wrapping up the show today. Let's talk about three tools a person could use to increase a well-formed conscience going into this election cycle. So I'm just going to echo, I mean, first tool, and it's it's no easy tool. It's no small tool. 52 pages is, not, is nothing to scoff at. But I, I'm going to echo the bishop, my bishop here, and say, like break open faithful citizenship and his, as he said, read it prayerfully and um, with reflection. So that's that's going to be my my first recommendation for the tool. I'll give okay. you the option to say number two. Number two, um, I'm going to say read party platforms. Mm. Read what's really behind it because they don't talk about it very much either one, but to look at them and um, see what they stand for. And then I'm going to bounce off that to give the third tool, which is take the party platform and then bust out your catechism and compare the party platform to what the catechism says. So that goes back to forming consciences for sure. But like 
compare and contrast what each party's platform is, individual issues, and compare that to what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. Because I think a lot of people would be surprised if they read different sections of the Catechism. Right. And I think the the next thing to tie the bow on top of all of that, our one, two, three, would be prayer. Take it so deeply in prayer. Um, you know, you encounter Christ deep in your heart in that prayerful time, and he is truth and life, and he will lead you uh, to do the right thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is... Well, we still have about a minute and a half, James, as we're starting to wind down. But um, this has been really wonderful. Again, I want to really thank you for all that you do for our kids in this community. Again, you've had three Marvins, um, one of which my oldest or my oldest that you've had, Thomas, always says he learned more in your class than all four years of high school. <laughs> thank you. That's really, really <laughs> the kind theology, of affirming to hear. Yes. So thank he you. really, he really enjoyed that. And uh we're I'm we're so thankful he... that you you were there with them. I love getting to hear about the conversations that go on, and sometimes I get videos too, so they're watching. <laughs> videos of my classroom? What? Yeah. How is this so, happening? Okay, that's concerning. I won't know. <laughs> that is concerning. All right, I'm gonna this have to be is on last year. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be more on top of okay. that. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming into the studio today and sharing your heart um, about faithful citizenship with our community and throughout the state of Texas, you know, here on KEDC, KYAR, and KINF. So thank you. I hope you'll come back again. And until then. You are so then, gracious. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, we love you, ladies and gentlemen. We'll praying for you. Pray for us. And until then, go and love your neighbor. Oh